Okay. I told you everything. Yeah, I know. We, uh, we, do, we both do. <laughs> like, ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Maybe that's just how that got started. <laughs> like, yeah, it just, was just somebody. That was like, a uh, Pharrell song. Uh, it was a Pharrell and Justin Timberlake song. Um, so now they're, uh, they're surprising the troops by actually having brought them to Nationals Park. Uh, the last time the troops got surprised was <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know I was going to Nigeria. <laughs> uh, what are we doing yeah, there? Yeah, like, uh, why, why is this operation in Cambodia? <laughs> <laughs> Ten clicks up the river. That's Cambodia. Exactly. Um, Kirk, is that his name? In, in Kurtz, yeah. Kurtz. Oh, Kurtz, yeah. Well, that, that's Marlon Brando's name, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, welcome to Infinity License episode 45. Uh, I'm Leonard DeFranco with here with Brian Pisano, and Hi. we are uh, we're, we're doing we're doing chillax mode today. We're sitting on the couch. Uh, we have the home run derby in front of us. Um, I really think this should be. I think in the future, maybe this is the, our new direction for the podcast. We just fully realize that our, our our ideas are not articulate or smart enough. So let's just do what we truly enjoy doing, which is just <laughs> being lazy and watching baseball. And we're drinking beer. <laughs> and, and drinking we're beer. Like just sitting. I, I I'm Seamus side right now. Mm-hmm. That's my position. Seamus side is a, is an important position. He, we have to keep him. He'll be quelled now, mostly. He won't be dropping his bone all over the place. I mean, he'll be probably be dropping it on the rug. It will be less loud. So loyal listeners will not hear the signature dropping on the <laughs> on the tile. Shame is dropping hardwood. your bone, damn. What a gangster. And Bryce Harper is wearing his America. His, like, uh, Last Samurai thing, yeah. Yeah, which is particularly funny because... Uh, he's a Mormon, and Mormons were uh, a, essentially a separatist movement from the United States and a radical group that were seen as separate from, or their explicit mission is to overthrow the government of the United States, or was for a certain amount of time. Uh, they should get it. Why didn't the Mormons like develop like an industry the way that like uh, Indian reservations have casinos? Like Mormons could be the fracking religion, you know? I think they, I think it is. I think they are hyper successful. I think. Have you ever seen a poor Mormon? You know? No, like, I have not. Like and. They all, they all seem to be generally pretty fit. I mean, look, ev- evidence, Bryce Harper. <laughs> uh, um, That's all the evidence I need. And Bill Paxson. Oh, yeah. Chloe Sevigny. You know, I, I would bang pretty much any Mormon. And they also just Romney. turned, like, a desert wasteland into a thriving community. Like, essentially... Wasn't, a, wasn't Rob Portman a... Uh, yeah, they, they made Utah bloom. Yeah. A, a state with plenty of wildlife and agriculture and people before they showed up. Um, uh, so we're just chilling here watching this, and uh, we got a couple of uh, a couple topics to talk about. Um, uh, I guess the first is um, you want to go into. Uh, do you want to talk about what you're, what you're currently reading? Oh yeah, technically I'm listening to. I got the audio book because it's. I always get audio books for books that I'm. It's either current affairs books or like news or science books because that's what I listen to while I'm exercising. So I feel like I'm doing two. For, I'm learning. And I'm exercising. Like Warrior a, poet. Exactly. Um, but the book is uh, called How to Change Your Mind. Uh, the subtitle is something to the effect of the history of psychedelics in America and psychedelic experimentation in science um, by Michael Pollan, I think his name is. Um, it's great. Uh, I've, it's really interesting to me because I've, I've never taken psychedelics before. I'm a, I'm a square like that. But it's a very interesting because he does a great job of giving a history of the psychedelic movement purely through the lens of kind of like its original intent, which was a scientific purpose. And like he traces it really, I mean, you could go back to, you know, um, the Amer Indians or indigenous peoples that were doing ayahuasca or, or um, psilocybin um, ceremonies. Um, but 
the modern movement really goes back to Albert Hoffman in 1943. Who lived till the age of like 117 or Yeah, he it was I think 102, but he yeah. was still like 102 or 103, but he yeah. on his 100th birthday they had some kind of conference. I don't know if it was in DC or somewhere in America. And he uh, was like, so they had this huge conference for his hundredth birthday, and he he was like hugely part of the party. Like he was still at a hundred years old, was like like the life of the party. Yeah, because he can spike the fucking punch. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> no, but he <laughs> was like, like that dude to every party. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, that that was his whole thing though, is that like you know he incidentally people know this story, but like he he discovered LSD by accident. He was working for a pharmaceutical company. Um, it was like ergot poisoning or something before that, yeah. wasn't it? Um, it was. They they thought it was. They they were studying the chemical compound for something else. That what they thought would would have been like some kind of food poisoning or something else. Um, then he incidentally took a dose because that's actually what in this book Michael Pollan talks about a lot, where it's like the way that our scientific process has been uh, administered is is kind of a new like the way we do studies now. In some ways, it's good. Like, we do make sure that there's a lot... Like, the FDA has a lot more control over things, and there's a lot more, like, double-blind studies. There's a lot more control groups. There, uh, it's, it takes a lot um, more effort to uh, to get something passed through and get things passed on to human test subjects. But it was seen up until, like, the 60s that uh, most scientists would participate, or a lot would participate in the studies themselves. So they, they saw it as actually not uh, a uh, deterrent, but really, as uh, like scientists, if they're going to participate in this or they're going to be working with human studies, they should also be part of the study because it's like, well, they're they're putting some skin in the game. By, by I feel like that's them. actually a pretty time tested tradition in science. I mean, I remember reading about uh, you know someone who tried to who was the, the, um, understanding uh, the digestive system by eating his own puke. Oh my uh, god! Yeah, it, some scientist in like the 17th century. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, and, and, you know, there have been, um, you know, I've seen sleep deprivation studies, uh, you know, have been done by people who are just recording, not, I mean, actually the most famous, uh, self-administered science experiment is probably an apocryphal story about, uh, two, um, you know, enlightenment era, French revolution, um, scientists, one of whom was scheduled to die by guillotine and promised the other one that he was going to blink as many times as he could Mm -hmm. after the guillotine. And was I don't. This, was this French Revolution or was it English Civil War? I think it might have been. I thought it was French Revolution. Yeah. But I, 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 yeah. Either way, I've heard that it, it is dubious yeah. that it happened at all. But uh, let's just say it was five times. Yeah, that, that, that you could. Still, I would have made you, it you five still have times. The, the capacity to to blink. And, yeah, yeah. until the blood runs out. That's not yeah. a bad way to die. Just like keep blinking until you just don't until it, it, it's you kill until you've blinked your last blink. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great blink, this guy. Yeah, um, Michael Pollan is uh, is the guy who um, uh, it, the New York Times uh, food writer, right? He was the one who wrote the Omnivore's Dilemma. Oh, really? Yes, yeah. and he his whole thing is eat food. Mostly plants, not too much. Yeah, that's his. Like he's distilled his uh, um, entire, I guess, dogma about eating into that epigram. The idea being that, like, I guess you should add to that eat shrooms. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, some, a little bit a day every yeah. day. Um, but uh, yeah, dude, I I've uh, I have taken psychedelics before, and um, I've done it in a recreational sense. But I I actually have I I now would only do it in a recreational sense because I have tried to sort of take it in the communion sense. And it didn't work. Well, that's um, that's interesting because, and I had that question for you because a huge part of the book is about how set and setting determine your experience. So that's the reason why the scientific community, for a while, it's come back into vogue now, and starting in like the late '90s and early 2000s. But the 
the people that were outside of the psychedelic science community were upset with the results of the study because they're like, you're purposely engineering this for the results you want. But the, the arguments for um, Hoffman and a lot of the other scientists who were the originators of the movement, uh, American or Swiss scientists that were involved in this, were saying that like, well, we have to, like part of this, we've noticed that like we can, th this doesn't change unless we, unless we engineer a, a certain setting. Now it's not a, a universal maxim that like if we set a nice environment and make it kind of like a very um, communal, holy experience, it's going to dictate that you have a good or bad trip. But it does like the outcomes seem to dictate that. Like the more times they did that, the more people had seemed to have a what they determined as a, a life changing experience or a vision that w they counted among their top five spiritual moments in their life and that kind of stuff. But he also talks about how he Michael Pollan experiments on himself and he says how. Well, I had a great time, but I don't know if I would call what I just experienced uh, any kind of spiritual or religious yeah. experience. You know, like I'm a pretty secular person, so it's it's interesting because there are a lot does of does he does he come into the book? Because I've heard, I guess the other context is that this book is like making waves. I've seen it um, in a number of places. People have been talking about it. Um, I think that it follows uh, a more informal trend about microdosing that has been you know, trending upwards for like a couple of years. And I think it, microdosing has generally been seen as like this sort of Silicon Valley-ish, uh, you know, hippie adjacent approach to mm -hmm. optimizing, you know, trying to trying to simulate a flow state of mind or whatever. Um, and, uh, and, I, and you know, sort of uh, quackery um, or just like indulgent kind of like Burning yeah. Man attendee type stuff. Yeah. But um, I've never microdosed before. I would like to try if I could get my hands on microdoses but um uh, i think that this book arrives at a time at which people are looking for some pretty rigorous you know investigation of it it sounds like this is kind of like the game remember the game where neil strauss uh yeah. became a pickup artist yeah um pua movement baby <laughs> <laughs> yeah pua um with yeah mystery gotta start there yeah and uh he's basically just you know participatory journalism it's kind of gonzo mm -hmm. and he starts off you know a little bit skeptical and then he turns out to be like just picking up women and yeah michael pollan does he come into it skeptical does he come into it as uh, a, I think a so. straight edge fugazi loving square no he's um he is very much you know he admits to have taken uh, mushrooms earlier in his life but then really not being interested in it um and then coming back to it later in life when uh, now that there's been a lot of like scientific studies that are moving on it um and, and moving forward with um the actual examination of the medical benefits of, of using psychedelics and also MDMA, which wouldn't, you wouldn't classify as a psychedelic, um, but they, they, it's that's in the same group of like formerly Schedule One drugs that are now becoming MDMA um, also, which used to be a therapeutic drug exclusively. Yeah, it was it was originally was, and then it be it it really only was removed from that when it got a reputation as a club drug in right. like the early nineties. Deservedly so. I mean, it's a fucking amazing club drug. Yeah. But, but also it's do you, like, do you remember, I don't know if you remember that like in the, in the nineties or the early thousands, ABC, like primetime did a special on ecstasy that essentially encouraged you to go do ecstasy. It, it called into question the entire consensus that ecstasy, if you remember like the, the rumor was that it would like drill holes in your brain. I do and remember the, that. that the, there were two books of, 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 of ecstasy that I remember hearing is that you get holes in your brain and you would get so dehydrated that you would just pass out. So then like uh, and and or you would get yeah. like die. From and then the third one was that if you ever had sex on ecstasy, you could you never could have never, sex yeah. again because yeah. it was like you had achieved your, your maximum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I incidentally have a friend who um, when I was living in Chicago, he had this girl that he had a huge crush on and. 
the night that he like they first made out, he was on he was at a club uh, on ecstasy and like a number of other drugs and also kissing this girl that he was like had a yeah, huge yeah. crush on for the first time. And I was like, dude, it is literally all down here from yeah, yeah, chemically yeah, you for like, you. <laughs> this is it is not po- you could take a hit of heroin straight to the dickhead and like, <laughs> is not going to top the the brain cocktail you just had going on. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, um, I think that um, uh, my uh, so when I was in in college, um, I uh, just smoked a little bit of weed, and it wasn't that much. But I started to have a completely psychedelic experience. Really, marijuana is a mild hallucinogen. But what I was doing and seeing, like someone was playing guitar here in front of me, and I just totally was transported. Like I yeah. was um, just the you know the the imagination that i had was v- very uh you know meaningful honestly in mm. the way that you see a lot of these clinical studies of um uh acid and stuff by the way guess what my initials are ld oh lsd yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, wait, what's your what's your middle name again? samuel samuel leonard samuel the most jewish name in the world <laughs> leonard samuel defrancois <laughs> i put that on the back of my bible in in uh, ccd it's lsd and the teacher was like why are you doing that and i was like oh my god i never realized um she actually kind of informed me what lsd was because i didn't even know it was like, before huh, that you right. just got owned <laughs> yeah and then i spiked the wine and uh yeah. well, it, and i mean i well let's it's funny you should say that. I want to get back to your psychedelic uh, weed experience because I have something to say on that front. But um, it's funny you say about the Catholic Church also suppressing LSD because they're also the the conquistadors when they came over and they found out about the flesh of the gods. Explicitly, um, like like the like American Indians like learn to not tell them that they had it. They would still keep the practice in mind, but they wouldn't <laughs> tell them because they would just be like the 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 authority of the church doesn't recognize. Like the like wouldn't recognize any, this like flower ceremony or this like mushroom ceremony that they're using. See, if the Catholic Church was smart, they would have just stolen that stuff, figured out how to synthesize it, and put it in the host. Yeah, so yeah. that you had to go to church like to an get actual a communion. Of, yeah, but I guess to your point about you having and you, you can finish the story, but I guess the whole idea actually, I think what they're trying, to, what actually Michael Pollan and a couple other people are trying to say about LSD. Uh, Richard Alpert would say this, or now known as. Ramdas, who's mentioned in the book as well, but he was kind of he was kind of more the, you know, Timothy Leary was more the the mischievous prankster, where Richard Alpert was more like the the guru, kind of more interested in the uh, traditional medicine. But he would say that like, well, this was a real shortcut for Westerners to get access to uh, to an enlightenment experience or almost a guaranteed kind of soul or ego death experience. Um, whereas like the people, the saints and gurus and the people that are um, that are actually practicing these practices can experience this without any access to LSD or psilocybin. So it is it is your capacity. Like you, your brain has the like the stuff to make this happen. I mean, DMT is in your brain too. It, like it, it, it can, it can you can um, force these ego death experiences through like r- probably rigorous spiritual or meditation practice or whatever. But the, the, I think their whole a lot of their big conclusion was like this is a good way, way to p- get people to like wake up to this because it's just a shortcut essentially it kind of uh, like gets it gets us from a to b without convincing people that they have to commit their lives to a life of like my monastic life of uh, absolutely yeah. that you yeah. that what you just said is exactly the story i was going to tell no joke i seriously Sorry because steal it from no, no 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 that's yeah. awesome actually uh it shows that a why we why we pot, why we cast yes. this is why we cast <laughs> and also we cast um uh yeah, I I now feel in communion. Yeah. Uh, no, I I the, yeah that story is I went to my I, I told my mom that I had had this and my mom was the more the, the it's the closest thing I had to a spiritual guru, and um 
she uh, advi- referred me to her friend Gil, who was like this old hippie guy. <laughs> and I told him about this, and he told me that exact story that Ramdas gave acid to a guru and it had essentially no effect. And the reason that the guru concluded was that the universe provides an avatar for itself to every civilization in the form that the civilization trusts. And if you're a, you know, full of myth, then you're going to get a myth. And if you're a chemically based, you know, materialist society, you're going to get a chemical that gives you access to this. And uh, they're essentially arriving at the same thing. Yeah. And um, I think the guru called it medicine. Like he's like, can you can you give me the? And then they, he even took a dose and was like, this is just like it doesn't. Yeah. No and I and me. I I don't know. I'm not claiming that I I like I don't meditate or anything, but I do feel like I fall into like fugue states of communion and ego death pretty easily. And um, oh la di da. No, I do. I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm very true. jealous of you. I, I I I try so my anxiety real brain I, 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 like tries to get. <laughs> no, I, listen. I, it, yeah. the, I I get anxiety when I smoke weed. I actually don't really smoke weed anymore, partly Same. because yeah. I get I, I get too anxious. And but it's some of it is like self sabotage type thoughts, but a lot of it is you know in the same realm of ripping the lens off reality is stuff like for example akin to what I once read Allen Ginsberg say that he realized when he was tripping which was that you're kind of looking at the plant in the corner and realizing you know that plant is alive like me it's trying to live like me it's going to die mm-hmm. like me and it's relevant to say that not only have i had it smoking weed but i actually really never had it on shrooms or lsd I, I have yeah i've had that meaningful feeling when i've i've honestly had it when i was drunk before i've had it lying in bed you know like yeah. just well, it's it's interesting how I mean, like it's such a human, a natural human impulse to kind of take us. I mean, in, particularly in our culture, is to take a substance. We're drinking beer right now. I mean, like, um, which has a lot of roots in our civilization for a lot of reasons, but like, uh, um, that we we take these components to just like to gain some insight or to to get outside of ourselves or to get some kind of like understanding it's funny you said that about smoking weed because i also have that like in my mind i'm like oh yeah i want to do that because it's it's it feels like a little bit easier than maybe like drinking a beer or something like that but then i'm like what happens to me is i also know like maybe that i start with that allen ginsburg like oneness like i recognize like the individuality of things or like the, and the individuality but also the communion of all things and all that stuff but then i get anxious when i start thinking about like like I really have a hard time watching TV if I've like if I've smoked weed because then I'm just like, oh, all this is bad. Like if I see a commercial, I'm like, this is annoying. Yeah, like this absolutely. is like, and then I get then I get just caught in the thing. Like what are we doing? Like why am I why am I watching this stupid Geico commercial? Like the, uh, and then like I just get into this real existential like k hole where I just lose and then the experience becomes bad <laughs> like um so but that's i mean i think that that that's the kind of the reason you do it though right yeah I mean, you want to be able to to be able to contend with the ugliness of your reality if, if if you feel it's ugly you could also feel i mean the problem with me is that when i get to the feeling the opposite like utter beauty it just feels sad because it, i feel like the fleetingness of life you know like yeah. if i was sitting on top of a mountain watching a sunset i felt that this weekend watching a sunset over oyster bay you know i was just sitting yeah. on the beach and i'm like Ooh, in the, win- in the depths of winter, yeah, Gina lives out there, or yeah. Gina's family lives out there. Um, you know, yeah, like just you know, in the depths of winter, I'm I'm dreaming about like this exact feeling. I'm like, I have no shirt on, and I was just like looking, yeah, yeah, and like that makes me sad because I'm like, I'm gonna, you know, like you can't take this with you. Yeah, um, it's almost more comforting to be able to just sit there and hate on something, you know, like because yeah. it's like, man, I see what they're fucking doing to us. Yeah, know? yeah, uh, yeah. It just it just gets me anxious because then, but then I also go end up in that same place because I'm like, what, 
like time is fleeting and I'm wasting it here just like you, you know what I mean like I, I could have just been doing something else but here I am watching for the nth time uh, a dum- the dumbest Bud Light commercial well, that like, is, like yeah. them just yelling like dilly dilly at me and I'm like I hate oh, this God, dilly dilly, <laughs> dilly, dilly. Um, um, are we watching a Dilly Dilly commercial right now? I think we might be. Uh, it might be. Oh, no, it's Taco Bell. Um, anyway, so do you have... Let's... Um, uh, we'll put a button on it. So I guess I'm, I'm about halfway through, and it's actually for, like, pretty uh, funny, or a synchronicity, as the people in the spiritual and psychedelic community would say, that you mentioned, because they just got to a part where um, you know, Richard Alpert had dosed uh, Allen Ginsberg, and he was walking through, like, naked through the st- streets of, like, Cambridge or Newton or whatever in, in Massachusetts, just saying, like, love is everything. <laughs> everything is love. He called... He, he called uh, Jack Kerouac, apparently, and said, Jack, this is God. G-O-D. God. <laughs> I knew, um, oh, so, that God. Oh, what that God. <laughs> Why did you cause so much misery? Uh, By the way, the, the ironic thing is that if you ever watched that old um, William F. Buckley Crossfire episode with Jack Kerouac, oh. and Allen Ginsberg's in the audience, and Kerouac is just shit-faced drunk. Oh, my God. On, right, and, and they make a joke about because he's talking about the hippies. And uh, you know the the beat they were essentially seen as like post beatniks at the time, and, yeah, and yeah. Jack Car- Jack Kerouac was like the proto beatnik, and so he was brought in as some sort of expert on the hippies, even though he really had no idea what, what was going on there. And the guy commented like Kerouac's an old fashioned; he's stuck on alcohol because Jack Kerouac was just being a, a dick to yeah, yeah, this yeah. professor that was kind of clueless guy that they had on. Anyway, um, that's so pretty funny, William F. William F. William F. Buckley. It's just proving that it's like what if we just let this guy if you let him be openly gay he wouldn't have been this reactionary hor- <laughs> horrible person like you know what I mean he wouldn't have been this like if you ever want to uh, see how far the Republican Party has not come look at like the fact with well, the policies of like George Wallace and stuff that William F. Buckley was defending as perfectly reasonable yeah and, uh, from, and he was a New Yorker too like that's the other thing it's like uh like <laughs> yeah anyway um also the other thing I want to say about that is that there's a lot of I think opportunity for hucksterism that is in this space i i a couple years ago i um looked up a bunch of ram don uh, sorry ram das uh youtube videos just to see like what he was talking about mm-hmm. and a lot of it's bullshit like he, i think i think ram das a little bit but i'm curious what you think is uh, i it just just a very woo woo stuff like i feel like um Alan Watts does a better job articulating what ram das was trying to say a lot of times and they're saying a lot of the he's same still things. alive Alan Watts? Ram Dass. Uh, Ram Dass is alive, yeah. But I'm saying, yeah, I know. Alan Watts died a long time ago. Um, yeah, Ram Dass is alive. Like, I in other words, he, he does, there's a limit to a how stroke. much he needs our exegesis. Like yeah, but I'm just saying that, like, yeah, I, I could see, like, his lectures were a little bit... I think his importance in the movement... I think that a lot of people also describe... Some people describe being in the presence of Ram Dass is that he's, like, kind of a... He's, like, a modern saint a little bit. It's, like, you don't get it unless you're... If you're in the presence of this guy, you kind of just see that, like, that... Yeah. But I don't know if that's I true. was in the I, presence of a real saint. I, I went to um, meet Ama, who is a Indian uh, saint who, like, travels the world, and she's one of these gurus, and she, her thing is that she hugs you. And it was pretty cool, but, like, I don't know. It, it, it wasn't, like... I don't. I just. I just. I just um, well, I think that's also just your. That's your setting. You know. I think your setting is is skepticism. Uh, like I, don't think, I don't think it's skepticism necessarily. I think it's just. What do I know? You know, like what, like what do I, how, what are they playing on inside of me to elicit this? And I. I yeah. Yeah. Well, so but then I mean, in the vein of hucksterism, though, would you say that Ramdas is a huckster or just a bad guru? Or like, in your I just mind? think or thinking what he had to say was that. 
profound. You know, r- profound, yeah. 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 But think about, it, but that's to you, Lenny DeFranco, who was born in the late 80s and, you know, like grew up with a, a mom who was kind of inclined to that. It's like, think about somebody who grew up in like the purely material, like 50s and 60s, like early 60s. Yeah. Like, like your, your Don Draper archetype, who's just like, oh, well, obviously, if you just get a house and, and buy some Coca Cola, like, and, and a Ford motor, you're going to be happy. <laughs> and like these, these people who are steel belted radial. Yeah, exa- yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and he's uh, so the the people. I think his audience was mainly people that were realizing the limits of, of materialist and consumer culture. Yeah. And he and you know now we also live in a time when you could just access a Ramdas lecture yeah. by just typing in Ramdas. Like you had yeah. to go seek this guy out previously. Like go to like Cambridge or wherever and like find a lecture hall where this like weirdo yeah. hippie dude who went to India, like who took a bunch of acid with like what. You know, before he gained notoriety, was seen as just like a crazy scientist. But then after, was seen as like essentially a terrorist by the United States government. <laughs> uh, you know, like and when like was essentially seen as like an enemy of the state and was like constantly in jail um, or in debt or both. like he would, the, the, in the book they talk about how like Tim Leary like anytime that he like ran out of money he would just write another autobiography. Like that was <laughs> that was his like bank account. Like he would. Um, That's like uh, did you ever hear that Dolly used to uh, pay for meals with checks that he would draw doodles on because. Um, because they would never yeah, get cashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. they had like a live original Dolly. Yeah, that was his, his meal ticket, literally. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, move on to the second and I guess final topic. Um, we've been wanting to talk about Elon Musk for a while, and uh, in the time that we've, <laughs> it, we we've been planning on talking about him the way that like you know that like Jimmy Kimmel joke where he's like, oh, we don't have time for Matt Damon, and we just kept pushing Elon musk off the yeah. agenda <laughs> and in that time there has been the entire uh italian elon musk phenomenon oh no, that's a spicy meatball <laughs> cut you like picture of no uh, refundo of <laughs> no, <laughs> no refundo and then the tesla battery just like exploding like yeah. shooting out flames shooting out the jets coolest. of flame yeah and shooting today, out flames like a boring company flamethrower exactly uh-huh. yeah and then he started doing the flamethrower stuff and i think that's what actually you know he started to do this really eccentric shit Back when we were going to start talking about Elon Musk was when he started dating Grimes. Yeah. And that was the craziest thing about him, you know? And the guy who did Italian Elon Musk yesterday tweeted, um, he like changed his, you know, avatar back to a picture of him. And he's like, hey, I have a lot of people in my mentions asking me to bring back Italian Elon Musk. I can't do it. There's nothing funnier than this guy making fun of the rescue diver as a pedophile. <laughs> like, it just, it, it, it can't it's over, be done. The bit is over, yeah. You know? Um, and so, the original thing that we were going to talk about with Elon Musk, and I guess it's even heightened now, it's not really different, but it's heightened, is um, there's been a lot of, there's been a movement uh, recently to just essentially, <laughs> this is going to sound a lot dumber than it did before, but there's been a movement that I don't like to sort of like discredit him as like this just eccentric, like this useless like PR guy uh-huh. and um, you know this like I think ra- you know rabid capitalist is ruthless and um, my whole thing it remains pretty much the same. I don't care about Elon Musk, the weird looking South African guy with hair plugs. I care about the fact that. In order to do very logical, technological steps like making fucking solar panel roofs that send electricity to a battery that powers your house and t- powers your car instead of having to buy it from ExxonMobil, 
to get to the point where we're able to do have these things as a society, there's nothing technological standing in the way. There's a cultural shift, and the cultural shift is going to take a big, gigantic, macro-scale, possibly lifetime-long PR stunt to accomplish. Yeah. So I don't care that Elon Musk is like eccentric in these ways or, or like shits on totally valid questions from you know reporters or whatever. I actually don't even really care that he violates um, union standards uh, is, I mean, like, I think you should, like, allow them to unionize and stuff, but, like, if if anyone, like, should get a, a dispensation, it should, which is not a legal concept, I understand, but I'm just saying, like, he's doing valuable work in terms of that. I, the, the SpaceX stuff was, like, interesting, and I think it's a, pr a proof of concept that he can solve these problems. But uh, fundamentally, I think that he's here to to kind of show us the way forward towards a much more sustainable future. You know, the... the um, uh, we work yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, they had a little PR stunt of their own where they said that they were not going to be reimbursing employee meals that had meat in them yeah. because meat contributes to a carbon footprint. Yeah. And by simply eliminating the expensable meals of we work employees, they were going to cut down by like, you know, 35 million, some yeah. absurd amount. And, you know, it's, it's a small step. I understand that. But I think that I'm much more in the school of like, that's a toy. That's a PR marketing tool toy. Yeah. And to get real change towards like any kind of sustainable future that's actually cool enough to, for us to live in, we need to do things on the scale that Elon Musk is doing, which is trying to build a gigafactory that can build you know, en enormous batteries. Yes, he's a PR guy, but he's doing that stuff. And um, th th I just want to say one more thing about it, and then maybe we can respond. Um, I read a... Uh, um, uh, article recently by Henry Kissinger about <laughs> AI. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. And in this article, Henry Kissinger is talking about essentially how he learned about AI recently and is extremely concerned about it. Yeah. Okay? Um, well, wow. right. that guy? <laughs> yeah. Well, and wait until you hear why. It's because the reason that he's concerned about it is because who knows what kind of decisions a purely rational uh, Have you seen would make. this Terminator movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like he's he's concerned because of the of the the mathematical you know cold lucidity with which the machine is going to make decisions, which is ironic coming from someone who could not have been a more ruthless cold-blooded pragmatist who has so much fucking blood on his hands. Oh, yeah, war, war criminal. Well, absolutely yeah, war yeah, criminal. Yeah. And shame, of shameless yeah. real <laughs> politique practitioner. Yeah. Anyway, um, so, uh, yeah, Cambodia was the least of it. I mean, like, yeah. like Cambodia, yes, that was a... Or that was just, a, like, most South American nations. Yeah, <laughs> like, Chile, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, what the, what the, the support of General Videla, all that. Anyway, uh, so that was a bit rich. But um, what I in this article, he was uh, doing what a lot of people do with AI and a lot of technologies, and actually what a lot of conservatives do with any new policy, which is just raise a bunch of questions and use those questions as dispositive about how impossible something is going to be. So should we live in a world where the best singer and songwriter is a machine? You know, like, and just you, you string enough questions together, and eventually the small-minded are going to become... Con convinced that that this is not an endeavor worth it. Too much is going to change. It's dangerous. The reason I say all this is because Elon Musk is a refreshing rejoinder to that. By embracing first principles, which I you believe what you want about Elon Musk as a Twitter personality, but first principles is a totally valid thing for us to bring back in these intellectually deprived times. He's proof that you can... If you take one of the questions at a time, you can do essentially impossible things. You just have to have 
where the, essentially where there's a will was the way, and where, and where there's a rigorous process, there's a way. So for him representing all that, both the sort of intellectual refreshment of um, actually being able to show progress in in you know really intractable problems, and also the marketing push um, that he's sort of sapping the power of with all of this PR bullshit that he keeps doing. Um, I I ultimately like want to support him, but man, he's got a fucking Log off, dude. Well, that, that's the that's the real issue is that he would have been totally fine. I mean, I think he he got real high off his own supply because he was one of the early kind of um, Digerati, also Twitter stars, where it's like everyone is on the social media space, and he has a direct way, like this and PR enterprising capitalist guy who also has like a, a sci- mad scientist kind of a little bit angle, you know, gets this brand as like, you know, the real life Tony Stark and building, you know, his own, uh, you know, electricity grid and, uh, you know, solar cities going off and building uh, like doing what Ford and GM couldn't do and building like a kind of cool, sustainable uh, electric car or something like that. Um, so he cashed in on a lot of that early, but now we're just seeing, and I think it's what's gone on, we were all in this early stage social media euphoria about like, wow, Facebook and Twitter is going to make our lives better. We can communicate with everybody and everybody's ideas can be shared in this democratic, like flat platform where anyone has a voice and you can even, you know, it doesn't matter what their income or age or gender or race and all that stuff. But now in the Trump era, like we're seeing the dark side of that too, because for all the positive things that the internet and social media platforms do, they enable it. And they also enable that within ourselves. So it's like, like a guy who like Elon Musk, who could get away with like was given extended a lot of, I guess, social credit at the beginning of this, like this whole movement, um, you know, when he was building all these like cool things or had made, you know, kind of insane promises about things, delivered on some, didn't deliver on others. Um, it, he uh, now is like kind of manifesting in this this weird terror where he calls a guy who saved a bunch of soccer kids to a pedo that was that was like, i mean like uh, it was kind of funny <laughs> <laughs> why did he call him that i didn't even see i couldn't he called even, him that it's del- a, it, 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 it has been widely derided as racist like he can't imagine it's a british expat oh. living in thailand oh, okay yeah, and okay. so the only immediate yeah. ra- reason he can imagine that that guy would be i will say however yeah. just as i mean that yes that is a racist assumption that there's no reason why a british person would be living in thailand however the story of how the movie Hostel got made was that Eli Roth and Quentin Tarantino wanted to make a movie about the worst thing they could find on the internet. And what they found was a website where you could pay a million dollars to kill someone point blank. And guess which country it was located in? Thailand. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't It wasn't Tajikistan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I guess you're right. I, 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 didn't see the, I didn't see that joke. But like that, that kind of, which is just in bad taste. Because I think it's like he still sees himself as a little bit more of a... Uh, like this sideshow, which I guess maybe he is, but like now he's become kind of like center stage and center show. I'm like, hey man, we're actually like looking for you to solve some of these problems. Like, well, it, like you, it, you brought up a great point, yeah. which was if Elon Musk just logged off Twitter and didn't have as as aggressive a social personality, how would the world think of him? And the answer is, we would think of him as a fucking wizard, yeah. like a, a magical doer. The same way that I mean, people like me still kind of are like, hey guys. Don't forget the rockets landed back on Earth, you know, yeah. and and it's an interesting commentary on like what social media does and just you know being overexposed and like you know there was a time when like I think you know that probably still exists in like Havana where people style or teenagers style themselves after you know one Clash album cover, you know, yeah, and that was be- it had more mystique because it was limited exposure and um, he's just so overexposed right now and he and he feels the need to 
to just engage with random people or just say these weird things, whether it's about the, the British diver or like showing up. I also like showing up and calling him a pedo and then delivering a submarine, but being a bit too late for anything to happen. It's like, hey, man, why? Like, if you just logged off, like you said, he would maintain an attitude. He's like, yeah, well, he's, a, you know, a, a really rich guy who's maybe running a company that's, you know, in a dubious financial position right now. But uh, yeah, uh, but like, if he had just if he just stayed stoic about it or stayed offline and been like and been doing what we all think or what our brains probably want him to succeed in that front and be like oh wow this guy is some wizard like pulls off some boardroom like capitalist magic and like finds a way to finance this company and build Tesla cars at scale as opposed to like oh he was kind of a dick on the internet for a exactly, while exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah and like that is the true story I mean about what his like recently going nuts thing is like Tesla is not in good shape it's gonna have to raise money again and he says he doesn't want to they've laid off people they have no automotive experience in their executive level there's been an exodus of, of uh, executives of the company I mean shit is not going well for this company right now and so he's taking it out by totally relying on the sycophants that he surrounded himself with that they're the accurate representation of how charming he is and everything it was um, like mr burns and his yes men it's like yeah. yeah i've just hired all these yes men you haven't told me that i've been making the wrong choices all this time <laughs> you nerds um but it's also i mean i think this is also a funny thing to think about a funny thought experiment is to think about what it must have been like to be the spacex engineer to get like the call about how it's like I, I don't I don't know. There's there's some kids in a cave in Thailand. We got to build a submarine yeah. now. Oh like, shit! Now I, I guarantee you that's not the weirdest thing they've had to like build for him on short notice. I know, but it's like well, that's why I would just I need to be a, so stressed. A, 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 I need a, a dick pump, and it needs to be a two way dick pump. <laughs> it needs to be operational by eleven thirty p.m. tonight. Yeah, exactly. Like I I don't envy those guys. I would love to interview them after they leave the job, being like, hey, like let's let's take you on a Ram Dass. What percentage of time did you spend working on space versus working on bullshit that Elon Musk get thought of? when he was like high yeah yeah when he was hanging out with grimes you know and also like just the like the diversion i mean as a product guy you have to understand and i'm sure he does you know prioritization everything and saying no to stuff is the key to focus and he's getting caught in all these stupid meme ass pr stunts like he said he was gonna help out flint well, that's great, except for, like, I don't know that he knows anything about the water situation in Flint. It's certainly a, a not, that's not a technical issue, like, getting to Mars. That's a policy issue that could be solved if anyone gave a shit. And there are 3,000 communities in this country that have worse quality water 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 than Flint. Oh, so, man. like, what, you know, he's he's getting dragged into this shit, and, and it's it's totally taking up um, his resources. The, the Tesla investor was like, I'm going to tell him, to, like, he needs to focus on this stuff. Yeah, I mean, he, he's just being a clown right now, and uh, it, it is super fucking annoying. Don't get me wrong. The other thing I, is worth mentioning was that, um, you know, my initial reaction was like, well, what did you do to help the Thailand kids? You know, at least he, he cared. But someone, the the new, the woman from the New York Times that he got in a fight with on Twitter, her point was like, actually, when you're leading a rescue effort that's high publicity, the one thing those officials don't want is, you know, interruption. To, to, is the interloping. Some guy of, to show up with his own submarine. Yeah, <laughs> because then you're going to get so much pressure from the regional government and stuff like that. You want people to just fucking step out of the way. Yeah. And Elon Musk did not do that. And he, he brought, you know, an entirely new level of um, surveillance to the situation. It wasn't helpful for anyone. So Elon Musk, just fucking stick your head back up your ass and, and read more sci-fi books and try to get to Mars. Yeah, I, I think that's the take. The takeaway is that he... he Kind of and let your workers unionize, goddammit. There cannot be a way that if the if the scale of problem he's trying to solve is actually even possible, he's gonna have enough money to to support yeah. like a unionized. Well, workforce. that's the also thing that people are realizing now that this, this whole 
attitude, which might work for guys like him who are just these weird freaks who can just kind of either like, like just their brains are kind of firing at all times. But it's like, if you want a loyal workforce of people and so they're going to just have to have, they're going to need rest and sleep and stuff like that. And they're going to want probably a good insurance that they're not going to get hurt on the assembly line. And if they do that, they'll get protected and that kind of stuff. And if that means that, okay, it takes us an extra quarter or two to get a Tesla, then it should be the case, which is why I think capital, like the capitalism that's going on now is failing him in the way that if he was just a government-funded project, if we just said, like, hey, this is part of the Department of Energy's experimental program, and we just let him run loose, and he, he had to meet d deadlines in a different way, like, in a way that was just, like, okay, you don't have to answer to, like, a board of, you know, of investors who are going to potentially pull funding from you and make this not possible, where it's, like, you have a blank check from the federal government, which we give to defense contractors all the time. Look, see the F-22 stupid plane that doesn't like they're spending a trillion dollars on it doesn't fucking work at all um or the osprey project which like killed tons of marines over the course of like 10 or 20 years that's very like it's it's true <laughs> that that plane is this like the the helicopter plane just um, a killing machine it's just like it just didn't work they did but they were just like well what if we just put more marines in it and then it would crash <laughs> and then like they're like um and the, but they it was also a thing where like I forget who it was. It was Boeing or Lockheed or whatever. But they're like, well, we got a lot of money in this project. So if it like if we lose another, if we lose lose another platoon of infantrymen, like get your dumbest ones on a plane, and like that's like pretty much what happened. <laughs> Jesus uh, um, we might need to take schedule another couple flyovers for yeah. football games and <laughs> make sure it crashes into. The, um, but yeah, like it would be. I think his it's just lost in that front. I think if we had if he used his PR skills. His good PR skills, not the one that he's been, not his evil uh, avatar that he's been <laughs> using recently, <laughs> or the Italian, the Italian Elon Musk. Um, Tie boys stuck in the cable. <laughs> I sense a pedo. But if he, if if he just, you know, like Kennedy, who was able to elicit that like national movement, like we'll go to the moon and do these other things, like and we we're going to finance NASA, and his legacy was like in financing these like kind of big scale projects. Then why don't we just do that, dude? Like, the the state of Congress right now is so fucking sadly far away from where we were as a country when we could ever invest in NASA or, yeah. uh, you know, like the in interstate system or like if 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 the if the if the pers present attitudes of Congress existed throughout all of American history, we would have Afghanistan style hinterlands <laughs> where people were riding horses still. Yeah, as like the way the uh, it's like then uh, I guess that's true. Yeah, there the, would be no connection any anyway. Yeah, I, I, well, I guess that's my point. Well, I guess that's also evidenced in like I mean, Solyndra was kind of like one of those things where it's like, well, okay, we'll contract this renewable energy out and then conservatives lost their mind about it when really it was a profitable company it was just like they were victims of kind of like essentially Chinese price Chinese, yeah, China, yeah, Chinese yeah. yeah like dumping I mean there's Trump's uh, Chinese environmental I just think it's funny that they, the, the conservatives railed against Solyndra and meanwhile the Trump the Trump Foundation is transparently a did you hear that the Trump Foundation uh, improperly among the improper payments that it made it was a seven dollar Boy Scout registration fee for like Eric Trump. <laughs> <laughs> like they wrote that they off. They just wrote that off. It was yeah, like, Eric needs to go. And to that Boy was an additional like a thirty thousand dollar painting of him and stuff like that. Oh and today God. he had a meeting with fucking Vladimir Putin, and they were angry at that uh, Obama took a book from Hugo Chavez. Yeah, well, that's the thing. They're so mad about that stuff too, where it's like I don't understand that at all for a lot of reasons. But it doesn't make sense. I'm like, to me, it makes perfect sense that Trump. And Putin are like it's like 
Trump is like, oh yeah, this guy's doing exactly what I always wanted. To do. Like, it's yeah, like yeah. he's just like, oh yeah, he just uses his position of power to just essentially just like like bulldoze laws, like not not really respect anything, not even pay any debts. Like, you know, like he's like, whatever. It's like, what are you gonna do about it? He's like, also arguably the richest man in the world. Putin. Putin. Yeah, I've heard that. Really? I, I will take that out. I thought it was Carlos Slim. <laughs> no, it's not Carlos Slim at either. It's probably. I think it's right now. It's Bezos, but. Um, I think Putin. Oh, is. that was the other thing I wanted to say about Bezos and sorry and Musk though is that I'm so mad at them. I was looking at their houses. It's so disappointing how plain their houses are. Elon Musk's house is just this like Bel Air mansion, which is like fine. It's like yeah, it's really cool. But like if you're this techno capitalist, you've got to be like building some kind of cool, crazy like Hank Scorpio level like tower with like. I mean, I, he probably has that too. He's probably got some. That's his yacht, you know. I guess so. Um, anyway, all right, let's uh, let's wrap this. Put putting a button on this baby. Who's um, winning the home run derby? All these guys aren't in the National League. It's really bothering me. Huh. huh. Yeah, uh, uh, they came from a league where it doesn't matter if your swing is thrown off for three weeks because the level level of play is so JV. Oh, we'll see about that tomorrow. Evening. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, with bated breath, I'm waiting. Anyway, um, speaking of events, <laughs> speaking of. Uh, nationally televised events. Yeah. We have a nationally broadcast via our podcast live <laughs> event Saturday, August 18th, Brooklyn, New York at Bluebird on Flatbush Avenue. Live. Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. Saturday. Live. Infinity License. Live. Episode L. Episode L. Episode 50. We're finally taking that L back that the NFL deprived us of when we had Bastards. Super Bowl L. I want Super Bowl loser. Yeah. Infinity take, License 50 loser. Take live. the L. We're doing it live. We're going to have drinks. We're going to have maybe some food, depending <laughs> on what vendors will work with us. We're, We're going to have maybe some, some merch to give away. Maybe some merch. Pending also what vendors will work with us, <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to be broadcasting a live show, and we'll be having all as many of our former guests as possible in attendance. We invite all listeners, whether they be from Brooklyn or New Jersey <laughs> or Tajikistan or the South or the South, <laughs> our true loyal Southern listeners, like our self-loathing Southerners. We see that we <laughs> see the demographics on SoundCloud. We know there's a pocket of you in the Ozarks. Yes. Oh, uh, we we definitely track the well. John in B. The, Macklemore's out there. Yeah, we track well in the meth belt of the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man. But uh, we're excited, and we're gonna do a live episode. It'll be fun. It'll be uh, at um, seven p.m. Uh, seven to nine. Yeah, seven to nine on Saturday, August eighteenth at Bluebird in Brooklyn, New York. Can't wait to see you guys there. We'll have meth. Come for the meth. So if you want more of that, come see us live at the Bluebird Cafe in Brooklyn. All right, Brian. Let's finish drinking these beers. Hell yeah. And watch some derby, some dingers. Derby.